Garen Emig with Eric Bailey and Eli Letterman, a couple of friends of mine who write a lot about the Oklahoma Sooners. I occasionally dive in and uh, did so again this week. We're going to talk about that as well as uh, set you up for Bedlam softball on this episode of All Things. Well, no, someone else has All Things Sooners. What are we calling the show, guys? Are we OU Sports Extra? OU Sports uh, Extra? What, world's Best Podcast? That that we could bring that. I back. like that. I that was the world we started. Yeah, Eric. Yeah, uh, Eric and I did one once upon a time. Eli, while you were, uh, I think you were like twelve years old. Um, uh, the world's best Oklahoma Sooner podcast. So perhaps we bring that back before long. I don't. I need know. a brainstorming session on this. Clearly, we're so on top of it and organized here. <laughs> yeah. Um, winging it as always. But that's that's the best part of of the job, right? You wake up and it's a brand new world every day. Listen, th- seriously. Uh, thanks for everyone for for watching or listening. Catch us on TulsaWorld.com. You can listen to us via Google, Apple, and, and Spotify. Um, we'll get to Bedlam, I promise. But the Sooner uh, Coaches Caravan, I think is what they called it, the OU Coaches Caravan, came to Kane's Ballroom last Thursday. We have not reset. I didn't even get the chance to talk about that. So I thought we'd get a, give a quick reset to, uh, to you fellows as to what you saw or heard between Brent Venables, uh, Porter Moser, and uh, Jenny Brownchick. What do you think? You know, Venables was a lot of fun. It was just, and it, it has been every availability, just full of energy. And I tell you, the the the, the packed house at Kane's Ballroom is really cool having it at Kane's. Usually, it's at a sterile classroom or a sterile meeting hall at OU Tulsa, but Kane's Ballroom was the perfect stage for this. And I really thought that he hit a lot of the same points that he hit during spring football. You know, he talked a little bit about the transfer portal, how it is going to be, is going to be, it's going to play into effect coming soon and we'll see how that goes. But then he also talked about how he's really uh, basing a lot of what he does on this football team. You know, you don't only need to to play football, you have to have good character. And I think that's, he stressed that over and over during his 40 minute talk to the fans. So I think football wise, it it was just what we've seen as media uh, out in the public in, in, in that setting. And you can tell he really thrives in that setting too. And it was exciting. Uh, first of seven stops so we'll see if stop seven has that same energy as stop one because he's going to wear the speech out but I think fans will really really absorb it yeah who, who could have known Brent Venables was so comfortable with a mic in his hand never would have thought it ever <laughs> um but it, like Eric like you said I mean it wasn't quite the 75,000 it showed up to the spring game but it was a packed house the line was down Main Street well before things got started and um, you know, beyond Brent Venables, you know, Porter Moser was speaking there for the first time this offseason where he's now seen five guys to the portal. It was 24 hours after Moja Gibson jumped into the transfer portal. And he spoke similarly to Brent Venables that this is the new reality. And, that, you know, there's two avenues here. You can either be, as he put it, you know, miserable and complain about it, or you can just, you know, get up and, and figure things out. So he's, he, I think, like Brent Venables and like most coaches across the country, is, is going to have to hit the portal. And that's what he spoke about in terms of continuing to build this foundation of a team while, you know, many of the faces kind of keep going in and out. And, and that might just be the future we have in store. We all talked to the coaches in an interview setting, and then they presented all three for the show. The caravan was uh, literally a, an opportunity for the three coaches to get on stage with uh, MC Toby Rowan, the voice of the Sooners, and, and, and speak to, uh, to boosters, fans, whatever you want to call them, in attendance. I think they knew what they were getting in Venables just because of the energy that, that, that Brent has put out since uh, taking the job last December. They might have uh, – the biggest victory from an OU perspective, from a mar- marketing perspective, might have been the segment with the two basketball coaches because the, the, the energy and even the chemistry between uh, Baranchik and Moser 
uh, was something that was that was very evident. I thought. My, my favorite part was when Porter Mosier said, let's just get this out of the way. He stood next to Jenny Branchak and said, yes, she is taller than me. <laughs> the crowd loved it. But no, the chemistry between the two were great. I mean, they were joking. They were laughing and they played off each other perfectly. You know, Jenny Branchak talked about how they, they both worked late nights with their staffs because they were first-year coaches over last summer trying to figure out what are we going to do. And they believed Lloyd Noble late at night because they were trying to work and get their teams prepared. They went through this together. That's the interesting thing. You know, they were hired just a week apart, and they've been through this journey, this first-year journey together, and they probably know a little bit about what the other's going through. So I had a lot of fun listening to those two. It was just neat. The chemistry, both are great people. I had an opportunity to get to know a little bit of both of them this past season by covering them and excited to see what's going to happen moving forward. To kind of put a bow on that, too, someone asked me afterward about Joe Castiglione and just kind of his his presence there on Thursday night. And I kind of thought of it, you know, on stage, I mean, he spoke and he got a raucous welcome himself. But you've got Brent Venables, the coach he hired in the wake of Lincoln Riley leaving, who to this point has just captured the attention of the entire fan base. And then you've got those two basketball coaches who are young, fun, came in at the same time and, and clearly have a good relationship. And you'd kind of be thinking of, you know, him standing in the back of Kane's ballroom and probably feeling pretty good about, you know, where things stand between those three programs right now. And it was totally on display at Kane's. I mean, the excitement was there. It was, it felt genuine. And, and so it was, a, I think it was a pretty good first stop on that caravan tour that Eric, as you noted, you know, it's been a few years since they, they even rolled that out. Glad you brought up Castiglione. Didn't want to forget the, uh, the athletic director. Yeah, he too was, uh, had his segment even carried a guitar onto the stage with him <laughs> that he claimed was, so what do you say, Johnny Cash's and Johnny threatened, Cash. threatened to play. I don't know if it was, if he was going to play Folsom prison blues or anything like that, but that was, <laughs> that, uh, that was, that was pretty cool. Um, I, I spent some time with uh, Castiglione off camera, so to speak. And we had an interesting conversation about a lot of things that are happening in college athletics that became uh, a column on Sunday about Josie's feelings regarding NIL that continued. We don't have nearly enough time to dive into all of that, but um, suffice it to say, Joe is is concerned as some of the other. Uh, I don't know if you call them, you know, a list administrators or coaches. I mean, you hear Nick Saban say things, and Bill Self say things, and Dabo Sweeney say things about uh, sort of the train getting off the tracks with regard to what NIL was supposed to be versus what it's become, but. Um, it, it was it was wasn't just fun and games and, and an opportunity to sort of have a pep rally, but there were some some issues tackled. You guys both mentioned the uh, the reference to the portal. Venables did bring up the SEC, but didn't make it a did not make it the headline uh, or you know the the, the story as uh, a guy named Bob Stoops once upon a time did an infamous Tulsa caravan stop. Eric Venables sort of down brushed rushed through the topic as if he knows it's coming, but didn't, I guess, uh, obsess about the topic and certainly didn't pick any fights. No, and, and that's right. I mean, he kind of said, you know, what do you say? We're putting all our chips in, the game's going on, we're gonna, we got our chips ready to play. So, yeah, I, I, something to that regard. Yeah, I think Brent understands, and he's known that since day one. And I think the key moving forward is not only – uh, what's going to happen when OU goes the 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 big the SEC? But when are they going to go to the SEC? We're starting to see reports now where some of those other schools, BYU, Houston, Cincinnati, are thinking about trying to negotiate a buyout. What's this conference going to be like if those three are come to come to uh, Oklahoma and then you have uh, OU and Texas still there? So there's a lot of questions still moving forward. 
you wonder if by one of the future caravan stops, we'll have maybe more of an answer. Big 12 meetings are happening right now. Stigleon's a part of that. That's in Arizona. They'll get together again in Dallas uh, in, in the middle of June. I get the feeling that we'll know more about the newcomers uh, than the uh, the defectors. I, I have a feeling we'll have that, that settled because their buyout situations just aren't the same as Oklahoma's and Texas, for that matter, with regard to moving to the SEC. But it's looking more and more like We'll not just see BYU in 2023, but uh, UCF, Houston, and Cincinnati as well. Uh, you guys mentioned the portal, so I'll, I'll throw it open to uh, to an update. Where, where, where are the rosters right now with regard to ba- uh, basketball and football? Eli, let's let's hear what's going on with uh, with hoops. Well, with, with men's hoops, um, it's been since you know that since the Sooners got knocked out by Missouri State in mid March. You know, five guys have gone to the portal. The two biggest, easily being Emoja Gibson and Elijah Harkless. That's two of the top four scorers from a year ago, including Gibson, who Porter Moser himself, you know, admitted, you know, that he was surprised to, to see him go to the portal. Emoja Gibson had uh, entered the NBA draft process, but, you know, in his own words, you know, not signing with an agent and then to quote with an intent to come back to Oklahoma. He, by, you know, by every, all appearances, was going to go get evaluated, figure out what he needed to work on, and then bring that back and try to, to get a little further down the line next year in Norman and uh, something changed Gordon Porter Moser and, and now he's in the portal and that leaves Porter Moser, you know, without another cornerstone um, as he goes into year two. And, and, you know, again, he was asked several times at the caravan, you know, how do you continue to build a foundation of a program that you've been talking about when you can't keep, you know, that the basis of players. Um, and it, you know, he pointed to the guys who are still here. It's got Tanner Groves. He feels good about, Bijan Cortez and CJ Nolan after their freshman seasons, but clearly that's not, you know, the top line talent he needs to, to progress this program in year two. But, you know, for him, it's, he said, you know, it's not necessarily about the faces. They're going to have to hit the portal. That's the reality now, but it's about the guys who are still there maintaining that foundation that they're building. And, um, but, but Porter Moser, I think knows it that he's got three or four roster spots now that he's going to have to fill and, and hopefully fill for the Sooners with, impact players because right now this, this team is, is certainly um, shorthanded from where it was, you know, a year ago headed into the season and, and there's work still to be done. Uh, Jenny Baranchek talked a little bit about, you know, continuing that momentum uh, portal portal. They're not going as hard as the men's team because they had so many returners, all the, the seniors coming back, Taylor Robertson, Maddie Williams, Anna, help me out, Garen, say her last name. I can't say it. Yanusa. I never, I always hate trying to say her name. I can spell it, can't say it. They're all so Oklahoma really has a strong foundation. They did pick up Ashley Jones, or excuse me, Ashley's not Ashley Jones. That would be huge news. Aubrey Jones, the younger sister of Ashley Jones at Iowa State. Ashley Jones, of course, is you know a Big 12 first teamer, big time player. She's coming back for her super senior season at Iowa State next season. But Aubrey Jones is a five-eight guard. Uh, started 15 games for the Cyclones, uh, and the Cyclones had a really good season this year with the NCAA tournament. A uh, good three-point shooter. I think uh, I think it really fits the mode of what Jenny uh, Branchek is wanting. She's wanting that shooting, that scoring ability, and she just adds to the weapons that they have. So good pickup for the Sooners, especially someone with Big 12 experience. So uh, that, that train keeps going on. So excited to see what happens. They have a, a foreign tour trip in August, so they, they'll get a, an early start, and we'll get an early look at what Oklahoma is going to be like through that foreign trip. And last week, fellas in football, we – we're just getting to uh, the news about Cody Jackson transferring and asked, sort of asked each other where we thought the next possible hole might be. And it turns out that's right on, on defense. 
with regard to the portal and who uh, Venables is losing. Yeah, last Noah game. Aranze, I think I'm saying his last name right, uh, didn't play, just got really limited playing time, was at Oklahoma for two years, just never saw the field. And we're going to see things like this, just not fits. And it's probably works well for both players, both the player and the, the, the team. Uh, just go out and have a, you know, find a spot, find a perfect home for you. Uh, so I, I think there hasn't been any name departures, which we didn't expect. And the key now is just watching to see who's going to come in. May 1st was the deadline for all these players to get in the portal. So we'll see what happens moving forward with uh, any incoming players. Okay. I'll one more note on Noah Arenze as well, because for all, I think, last week, we've seen the portal and NIL the last two weeks blow up into a world we didn't think existed probably a couple weeks ago, right? But an example of Noah Arenze, as Eric was saying, that's a guy who just needed a place to go play. It probably wasn't going to happen at OU. And on his way out yesterday, right after he, I guess, kind of formally announced it, uh, Oklahoma defensive ends coach Miguel Chavis put out a really nice note um, about Noah. Just mm -hmm. that, you know, he was a kid who was always on time, that he's a kid going to chase an opportunity, all those things. And I think in a portal era where we can lament a lot about it, right, however you feel about it, should players be getting paid? Should they have the freedom of movement? This is an instance where a kid is just looking for an opportunity to go play college football and get time on the field and mm -hmm. I thought that was a nice parting note from uh, his DNs coach for only a matter of months uh, to, to put out there as he was on his way out the door. Glad you mentioned that, Eli, because – go ahead, Eric. Oh, I was going to say – go ahead. There was one more player, too, that we haven't mentioned was Nathan Rawlings, and I can't say his last name, NRK. NRK. There we go. Yeah, NRK. Everyone called him NRK. Uh, defensive man, really high-regarded recruit when he came. Uh, tall, you know, his length. They were really looking for big things out of defensive end. So he was someone that also – uh, last weekend announced he was entering the portal. He didn't he didn't get any playing time in his one season at Oklahoma. But again, like Eli said, it's just finding the fits and finding what, what pieces work with both for the player and the coach. Yep. Um, to, to the point about Chavis saying uh, some nice things about uh, Arenze on his way out, it's, that, ex, that it underscores the fact that it's, it's fine to have the portal, that it's a good thing to give players more freedom to find other opportunities for whatever reason. I mean, well, I don't say for whatever reason. The, the intent is is absolutely right. It, this needs to tip back toward players uh, and and away from the coaches that had so much control over the, the transfer market up until uh, the the portal's uh, you know uh, uh, placement. I guess it was four years ago. Feels like feels like it's been a lot longer than that. Um, just the same as nil, I think is a good thing. Let's. Uh, not to write an on-air editorial here, but um, there there can be things that, that, that pop up that are uncomfortable in both instances. Portal-wise, name, image, and likeness-wise, it doesn't mean that you uh, completely re rewrite the book, though, as a result. It's got to be a way to solve problems without wiping uh, progress off the books, is what I'm saying. And and uh, the, that note that Chavis wrote or that post that he made on social media about him underscores that fact this this is still positive both things are still positive we just got to correct some of the potholes that have that have been created as, as a result that's that, that's all i'm going to say about that um to softball gentlemen we'll finish big because this is a uh, this is a pretty important series this weekend in norman between oklahoma state and oklahoma eli's still writing uh helping us out with coverage on osu spring sports he can speak to where uh Kenny Gajewski's team is coming into what is a winner-take-all series for the Big 12 regular season championship. Uh, Eric, you, of course, have been uh, on top of Patty Gasso's program. 
So we'll start with uh, the Sooners approach. Are they playing like they want to be playing going into the most important series of the year? And, it, and by that, I mean, are they in a, at a point where they should feel fairly invincible here? I don't know about invincible, but they feel pretty good. I mean, 45 and one. I think what they're playing up in Norman right now is just this is going to be a, a seniors weekend. They're going to recognize the seniors, your Jocelyn Allos, your players that aren't going to come back next season. And, and even though there's a lot of softball ahead of them, it's going to be their weekend. So they're, the, the, the team is rallying around that. They, they want to make sure that they send them out in the right way. And uh, they understand the ramifications of this. The winner, it's a winner-take-all series. Whoever wins this wins the Big 12. Uh, just impressed with how uh, they're going about all business. And they understand. And uh, it, this is really, I think both all three of us knew looking at the schedule was probably going to come down to this weekend. And sure enough, it is. Uh, impressed with the pitching staff with what they've been able to do. Jordy Ball's really having an out, outstanding season. Hope Troutwine has a 0.08 ERA. And the crazy thing is you have to have 100 innings to be an All-American candidate. And she would easily be an All-American, but she's only thrown 75 innings this year. Uh, so she's And you got to have 100 innings in the regular season. She's not going to hit the mark. Uh, just simply because uh, they have so many run rule games. They just, she's just they lost a lot of innings that way. So pitching staff, I think pitching is going to be important. Uh, I think pitching almost more important than offense because you got to really calm those Oklahoma State bats down. Uh, and I think that, you know, I think Oklahoma State's pitching staff's going to, you know, challenge Oklahoma. That's going to be interesting. One last thing, I had a chance to talk to Beth Mullins from uh, ESPN uh, uh, yesterday, and she talked a little bit about the series, a story we're going to have in tomorrow's paper. And one interesting thing she said, she says, you know, there's a lot of stars in this game, but in series like this, it's always the player we really don't talk a lot about that makes the biggest plays. So she's excited to see who that one player on both teams is going to emerge that's going to carry them, someone we didn't expect. Yeah, last year, if memory serves, right, to Oklahoma's, uh, on Oklahoma's side, that player was Nicole May. G. Juarez, who was the ace of, of last year's staff, was, wasn't exactly uh, – was well, not exactly. She just wasn't very effective. OSU got to her, also got to Shannon Sale, who was the second starter for Gasso, and it was, it was May, right, who emerged yeah. as the sort of the answer against that, that OSU home run heavy offense. And May, May saved Oklahoma. May really did, and she's still on the staff. She's number three. Uh, not getting as many innings as the other two. But you know what? It's good if you're Patty Gasso. No, you have her in your back pocket. Yeah. Proved last year she could come in and make some plays. Uh, Eli, a year ago, Kenny Gajewski came into the series and he got our attention when he said, they, they have what we want. It's our intention. And the paraphrasing here, our intention is to take it. They did get the first game of that three-game series off the Sooners before losing uh, two and three and then, and then uh, seeing the Sooners win their ninth straight Big 12 championship. Are they in better position this year? And we know Oklahoma is, is even better somehow because of the presence of ball in the circle. But is Oklahoma State more stocked because perhaps their staff is in better position? Are they more stocked to take what they'd like to get here? I think the answer to that question is yes, with a slight caveat. It's the Miranda Elish caveat, um, which I'll get to. But you mentioned, you know, Kenny Gajewski reflected those same words yesterday, almost a full year later. And you know, we've, we've got nothing other than, he said, uniforms. He, he thinks o OSU brings better uniforms to the table than OU. Uh, but he said, other than that, there's nothing that Oklahoma State has that Oklahoma wants. And on the flip side of that, Oklahoma State is chasing everything Oklahoma has, conference titles, everything, national championships. So there's still stuff to chase. And the Cowgirls are, Cowgirls are still chasing this weekend. And I think this year, 
Um, Kenny Gajewski had put together, has put together maybe his best team yet and his most capable team yet. But they go into this weekend with a bit of a question mark with with Miranda Elish because, uh, I mean, she's been the two-way star who really, as they've played their best softball this year, she's been right at the center of it, both in the middle of the, the batting order um, and in the pitching staff and probably on the one of the very few pitching staffs that can go maybe toe-to-toe with Oklahoma's in terms of depth and quality. Uh, but we don't know if Miranda Elish is going to pitch. Kenny Gajewski said yesterday that um, she's dealing with a right bicep tendon injury. Um, she left with one out to go in, uh, against Texas on April 24th and hasn't pitched since. Uh, and that's a significant issue for Oklahoma State if they're going to have to go to Norman and try to to take on a pretty insurmountable challenge, seemingly insurmountable challenge against Oklahoma. Uh, without one of their best players. It's, uh, it sounds like she's going to be able to hit. That's not a question. And that's big. That's important, especially against the staff that, that Eric just laid out. But uh, if the if the Cowgirls really were going to go there fully stocked, it would be with Miranda Elish. There is really that second starter behind Kelly Maxwell. And if, if she can't pitch, then it it really is going to add that burden on to, to Kelly Maxwell and then to Morgan Day behind her, who we'll see if they can kind of handle that moment. OSU is coming in off a uh... – off a series loss at Florida State. I don't imagine, though, that the Cowgirls feel any, any worse about their not just their chances this weekend, but but long-term, Eli, by playing a team as good as Florida State, as tight as they did in those two losses. Yeah, I mean, if you want to look at uh, it was Fridays, they played a Thursday-Friday series. Morgan Day allowed two hits that were both solo home runs. And so she pitched great. And she hadn't, you know, for her, she was someone who had seen kind of sparing uh, starts at least in conference play over the last month. And so for her to get a start in Tallahassee, pitch as well as she did, and, and you know, you get beat 2-1 by the fourth-ranked team in the country on two solo home runs. But I think you can only do so much better than that. Uh, and and so she she could be, you know, Eric, talking about that player who emerges. Uh, for all the talk about the OU pitchers and about Kelly Maxwell, Miranda Ellish, how Morgan Day does with her opportunities, especially if Miranda Ellish can't pitch, could be one of those deciding factors this weekend. Man, I I, I love this this series. I, I mean, I love just about any – Bedlam hopscotch is fun, right, for everybody. But it's – to me, it's – it, I wrote it today. It's the second best thing going in Bedlam outside of fo- – football is pretty obvious now, right, with the, the – especially the rise to prominence under Mike Gundy and Stillwater. Um, and having just beaten OU uh, a year ago um, – it's still an imbalanced scale, I realize, but um, but the the I think the, the folks in Stillwater are much quicker to stick their chest out when it comes to bedlam over football, and you get the sense they're trying to do that now with softball, and they're getting closer. And the and Gajewski talks like a coach that uh, is getting closer, and he's and there's a brashness about that. And last year it was over the, the remember uh, Eric that there was controversy as to as to the how the whole series was in Stillwater. Yeah, and you know, I don't think that uh, we we confronted Gajewski about it, and he said, "I know that they're pissed about this at Norman, <laughs> but this you know we we wanted it here." We're going to go there next year. Well, they're going there this weekend. Yesterday, uh, the question that, that I asked Gajewski before I had a chance to talk to Patty Gasso was, would you like to play the uh, Sooners once they go to the SEC? And <laughs> Kenny's first answer was, yeah, but you need to ask uh, ask Patty. <laughs> As if we've decided we want to do that. I'm not sure they have. 
And then when <laughs> then when the question was asked, Gasso, I think that was confirmed because she didn't exactly say yep, yes, definitely, right? Yeah. It was. It was. We're going to have to wait and see. <laughs> we're we're, we're going to have to enjoy these matchups as while well, we have them. We know they're going to happen. We need to enjoy each one as a fan. And you know, I truly believe they're going to play each other at least five more times. I, I'm, I'm going to throw it out there, maybe six. I think that they'll play in the in the Big 12 title game. I think they'll play twice in the College World Series at least. I think they're going to see each other a lot. Uh, or they'll play each other once, I'm sorry, in the, in the Women's College World Series. But I think that this isn't the first time we're going to be talking about a game between these two this year. And it's going to be fun because every game is going to mean something very, very important. How cool would it be if they played three times in the Women's College World Series in the uh, championship? Uh, no doubt, of, right down in OKC too. Man, yeah, oh, man. Yeah, that, that's something our state's so blessed. We're spoiled, really. That's what Beth Mullen said. We're almost spoiled with the, how much tradition and how much uh, talent we have for softball fans. So yep. just, let's just enjoy this next four or five weeks of softball. All right, fellas. Um, you, you got any, you're gonna, you, you want to predict who wins this thing? Do we go there or, do, or is, that, is that a violation of the, uh, the beat writer's code? I think you uh, can make just, a prediction. Yeah, you can make – yeah, well, I will say for Oklahoma – let's just say for Oklahoma to win – Okay, uh, we'll do that, yeah. Let's do that. And for Oklahoma to win, they're going to have to continue to swing hot bats, take advantage of every opportunity they have to score runs. If it's playing small ball, which they've proven they can do, they'll play small ball. And uh, pitchers just got to do what they've been doing. And it's not going to be easy. So I think that's what it comes down to. Uh, and, and defense, o, OU has, a, has made a lot more errors this year uh, than they have in recent years. So I think that's the key, too. you got to make the routine plays. Don't make anything hard. So I think I covered everything there <laughs> offensively. <they're gonna> <laughs> runs. Yeah, I'm really going on a limb here. Defensively, they just have to do what they've been doing and, and good defense. So, yeah, I didn't really help a lot, but that's the coach's answer to your question. Yeah, I think, all right, Oklahoma State, they're going to have to score more than they allow. And, uh, <laughs> no, uh, I think, you oh, know, man. Oklahoma State is a team that at times this year, by their own admission, has not played like themselves. And that's tended to be when they don't find success. Yeah. I mean, even last weekend, Kenny Gajewski said, you know, Florida State is kind of a very quiet, you know, sit, he said they almost said maybe have assigned seats in the dugout. Just that <laughs> kind of orderly. And that is not Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State is loud. They're fun. And when they're playing that way, it tends to breed success. So I think they have to go down to Norman and play like play Oklahoma State softball. But then after that, um, it I, I really do think a lot of this could hinge, um, not just in terms of performance, but even emotions. With, with Miranda Ellish, we know the place she holds on this team. And, right. and what that weekend against Texas, they spoke about the Ellish wave. And so if she can rally and get out on the mound, that could be big. And then to, to return to Morgan Day, I think you know what you'll get from Kelly Maxwell. If Miranda Ellis pitches and she's healthy enough to pitch, all that is a question mark. But we know what you can get from her. But Morgan Day being that third pitcher who at times this year has looked as good as the other two and at other times not so much. If she can show up, I, I think that's kind of that path to success for Oklahoma State. Okay, So it's Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Norman, um, 7 o'clock first pitch Thursday. What is it, 6 o'clock Friday? 7, 6, and 4. 7, 6, and 4. And uh -huh. This is on the uh, the mothership, ESPN mothership, or what? What's what's the uh... game one, ESPN game two, ESPN two, and game three, ESPNU. I bet they move game three off ESPNU. Before. As, there's my prediction that they'll move game three off the U before they get to game three. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> what's the weather forecast, real quick? Ooh, Eli, uh, we need. Oh, 
Kristen at? Get someone get Kristen on this podcast. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm not, yeah. the world meteorologist. We, yeah, I, I forget that's that should be a pretty yeah that should be a snap of the fingers away now, right? With yeah, the, I know uh, we you make a phone call and uh, get get a, get a quick email to Kristen and say uh, predict the the weather this weekend. Yeah, uh, that might well, be an element. Yeah. Until we get her, I can fill in as the meteorologist. We've got Thursday <laughs> looks clear. Friday, Saturday. Thursday, there could be some rain in the forecast. Um, sh- morning showers. We're going to be good. Okay. So perfect. We don't. So is it, okay. We can get the details from Kristen Lang, but uh, Eli's got us covered until then. That wasn't scientific enough. <laughs> that was scientific. I thought you. Yeah, I thought it was scientific. Enough. Eric and I are, are a lot f- uh, further removed from our uh, our our uh, uh, atmospheric science classes in school than you are, Eli. So <laughs> right. Uh, uh, what. Earth science, physical science. I forget what my class was called at Booker T. Um, I, I enjoyed English more than science. Let's put it that way when I was uh, when I was a scholar. Um, one more thing to do, and that is remind everyone that the All World Awards are coming up. This is a very big deal that we put on every summer to honor the high school athletes around the Metro from the previous year. I always put on a good show for you. Thanks to our friends uh, at Bill Knight Automotive, our, our uh, corporate sponsor. We're going to have another program this summer. It's going to be August 2nd at the Renaissance Tulsa Hotel and Convention Center. And if you'd like to get tickets to help honor uh, these young men and women, and you really should because of uh, not just what they do, but who they are. There's a lot of character in that ballroom that night, not just a, not just achievement. You can catch uh, the tickets and, um, and purchase them at allworldawards.com. That's allworldawards.com. All right, fellas, enjoy the softball this weekend. We'll talk about what happened next week on the pod. This is Garen Emig along with Eric Bailey and Eli Letterman. Thanks for reading and thanks for watching as well as listening.